So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 17. We're just reading a few verses. We've literally got a short passage today. Acts chapter 17. And we're going to read from verse 5. Acts 17, verse 5 said, But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out before the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren from rulers from the city, crying out, Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And those are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that we are gathered here this morning as a body, as a body of believers that want to hear from you. Lord, give us directive this morning. Give us unction, I pray this morning. Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to every one of us. Abba, Father, we ask all of these things in your precious Son's name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Now, this week, when considering a message, it's kind of hard. There's so many things that you can teach from. However, my mind was a blank until I woke up one morning and I got this phrase, the delegation. The delegation. Okay, so I took this for a walk to ponder it. What is the Lord speaking of and this is the passage that came to mind i'll be sharing parts of this passage from next saturday's teaching called the king's commission about jesus's great commission to his people the church however as i pondered this passage this is what come to my mind can you remember what happens this year on may the 6th what happens it's the coronation. It was the coronation. It was the king's coronation. And if you remember, there was a small contingent of us who went off to London for the day. Do you remember that, Shirley? You remember that, Charles? We all jumped on the train and went down to London. We arranged to meet at a kiosk in Green Park. We got chatting to a few of the security guards, and, and as we were standing there, chatting away, one of the leading security guards come right up to me and asked me this question. He said, have you come for the accreditation? Have you come for the accreditation? I didn't really know what accreditation was, but I looked at him and said, yes. I now know what the accreditation is. It's this, the actual process of officially recognizing someone. That was true, I said yes. And he said, have you been invited? I said, yes, I have. He said, who by? 
I said, the king. He said, follow me. And he took us and guided this crew of us through three doors of security into Green Park, where there was about 3,000 people there, right in the center of the park, watching the coronation, all sat down in a VIP area. And there we sat and watched in English rain, the coronation getting more and more damp. And after this, we decided to go on what I call a track attack. We had all of these tracks uh, with the gospel on it, all from Ray Comfort's ministry. And we went out and we handed out these tracks to hundreds of people. And people received them. People received them, including some police. Okay? I said, here we are. There's some of your tax money back. Take this. Some received. Some got angry. But generally people were intrigued and excited to hear about this king called Jesus. But why were we there? Why were we there? Well, the reason why we were actually there is because we had been sent. Because we were witnessing and because there's another king. We had been sent by Jesus to witness about Jesus because there's another king called Jesus. That's why we were there in London. Now, we were the delegation. We were the delegation. So I had to look this up. Well, what is a delegation precisely? And this is what it is. God bless Miriam Webster. A delegation is the act of empowering to act for another. That's number one. The act of empowering to act for another. The second definition is this. A group of persons chosen to represent others. See, as Christians, we have been empowered to represent Jesus to live for Jesus. That's why we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not just to live holy, holy lives, but to represent a king before the people. Now, this morning, if you are a Bible-believing, born-again, baptized Christian, you are the delegation. That's who you are. That's your job. Whatever else anybody says to you, in fact, you are a delegation of Bible-believing Christians who has a message for the world, which simply is this. There is another king, and his name is Jesus. And if you're not born again, and if you're not Bible-believing, and you're not baptized, come and see me. This is vital in our Christian walk. Now here... In Thessalonica, we have the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knows that he's been saved by grace and he's taken his calling, his conversion, and the commission very seriously. And this is a man with a colossal intellect, someone who could easily debate against the Greeks, and he did. But after a while, he comes back and he says, from now on, I preach Christ and him crucified. He wasn't ashamed of what people would say about the gospel. 
He wasn't ashamed of what people would say about his intellect. Paul, you've gone religiously mad. What do you mean you've encountered a dead man rising? But Paul says this, and we should question ourselves on this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Look with me in Acts chapter 17. Paul's a man of conviction. He's truly convinced and convicted by his encounter and conversion. He's someone to take serious as well. In verse 2, Paul immediately goes to the fellow Jews and he reasons with them from Scripture. This is their authority and he's going, okay, well, let's have a look at this. And he's explaining in verse 3 that the Messiah had to suffer but to rise again on the third day. And verse 4, we read this. The result was many Jews, many Greeks, men and women believed and joined and sided with Paul and Silas. And they themselves come part of this delegation of bringing the good news to the people. You see, these people at Thessalonica were hungry for truth. They were truly hungry for the word of God. And in fact, they were looking, think about it, in all the right places. They're looking in scripture. They're studying the word. And they got convicted. And they found themselves happy, I'm sure, that they found the Messiah. But let me ask you, how happy were you when you found the Messiah? Were you overjoyed when you found the Messiah? Or were you overjoyed when the Messiah found you, when you were convicted and converted? How's that joy today? This is nothing that gives me more joy than speaking to others about Jesus. I was speaking with a devout Christian yesterday, and um, they said to me, look, if I'm not living for Jesus, what is the point of living? This sounds extreme, even to other Christians, and I have to say a wholehearted amen to that believer. What is the point of us being called out for what? Just to be transformed and renewed, but not to speak? Paul is like, no, I'm going forth. Despite the spirit of the age, despite the intellectual prowess of many, he says, I'm going to speak with conviction and passion and unashamedly evangelical. And this is what I love about Paul. He went to the people because he cared for the people and he loved the people. And he said, I will become all things to all men that I may win some. Not everyone's going to believe. Not everyone's going to receive it. But Paul's going to go and deliver it. He is with Silas and the rest of those at Thessalonica. They are the delegation. And we've been called to be that in a dark and dying world. However, the Spirit of God is at work in His church and is at work in the sons of obedience. Amen? You may not be feeling it this morning, 
But God declares it and his word declares it. And I tell you this, in my heart this morning, I have that same passion and conviction. You know, speaking with somebody yesterday at the gym, there we were getting changed at gym. He was talking about the rugby. I hope he's watching this, okay? And he, and he gets talking about, oh, it's really hot today, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, because well, I remember when I lived in Israel, it was really hot. That was it. I thought, wow, you live in Israel? I said, yeah. I said, that's so interesting. So I used to live in Israel. In fact, there's a message on this card. I have a card always in this top pocket for our church. I said, there's a message in here called, look at the state of Israel. Because, yeah, I've never really understood what's going on there. I lived in a kibbutz. He's not a religious man. He lived there in the early 80s. And he explained to me when he was there. I said, this message you're going to love. Because it's going to explain it to you from Scripture. In fact, this was a message that took part in the swimming pool. This is what happened when I gave this message to a lady in the swimming pool. You need to listen to this. You need to be um, convicted by this message. And you will be. Whether you believe it or not, you need to hear this message. And he got it up on YouTube. And I pray to God that he listens to it. Amen? But I left skipping because of the message, not because of the cold shower. Amen? Right. Let's have a look. Verse 5. Some of these people in Thessalonica were happy, but some were not happy. And some are not happy with the gospel. Some are not happy when they hear the gospel from your mouth. Maybe it's your friends or family. So what? It says this, look. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, jealous, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. These certain Jews have become jealous of the message which Paul is given because these Jews were rather hoping that the Greeks wouldn't just be God-fearers, but they would become proper proselytes and converts to Judaism. However, these Greeks wanted to remain God-fearers. They didn't want to, if I can put it crudely, go the extra mile. Do you understand? Okay. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, who got very interested in law. Paul said, I wish you would have gone the whole hog and cut it off. You understand? They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do it. And Paul comes along with the delegation and says, hold on a minute, I have a message for you. And he wins them over. He pipped them at the post of religion. He said, no, you don't want religion. You want a relationship with Jesus is what you want. And he preached to them. But look at the reaction. This is the madness of it all. They become enraged at Paul. And consider this. These religious men, look at verse 5 took evil men to attack Christian men. That's nuts. Religious men took evil men, men that they disagree with, men that they preach against, men that they hate and say, God hates you. They use them to attack Christian men. Now, Thessalonica was a free city. They had freedom of speech. So Paul goes in there, and they hear about Jesus, and they choose Jesus. When I consider 
all the Muslim countries, I think, if they took the shackles of Sharia law and the death penalty of apostasy, how many of them would receive Jesus? Many of them that come over as refugees receive Jesus. That's why we need to be bold and always give the gospel because many have never heard about him, the truth about Christ and him crucified. They haven't heard it. We're not to fear them. Whatever language they speak, whatever culture they're from, whatever they declare, they need to hear the truth of Jesus that they may have a choice because what they've heard about Jesus, your Jesus, is a lie and they need to know about him. Now, Paul says this, grace, not law. He says you're free now, no longer a slave. Fear God and not man. That's his message. Be obedient to the living God. This is the message that got him in trouble. Now, today, to a degree, there is freedom on the internet. To a degree. I don't know how long that's going to be on there. However... Not everyone's happy about the gospel being on there, are they? You see it in the comments. I've already been called right-winged. Not right-wing, right-winged. Why is that? Because I say this, that there is one God, one way to heaven, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's a fundamentalist nutcase. And I'm going to remain with that and my conviction. One God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And there is one way. Say one way. Now this is regarded as hate speech. What do we want to do? Bring him out before the people. Just like in Thessalonica. Bring him out before the people. Let's expose this man. And they will use any tactic and strange coalitions form. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, you see. And that's exactly what's happening here in Thessalonica. What are they preaching? Christ crucified. Not religion, but relationship. You can't do anything. Christ has done it all. You can't pay for your salvation. It's free. It's not by works. It's by grace. What's wrong with that message? Why does the world hate that message so much? This is what they do. These evil men, check this out, these religious guys. So they went hunting for Paul and Silas. Look in verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren, some other Christians, to the rulers, crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You see, they've gone to Jason's house to try and track down Paul and Silas. Uh, but they're not there. It's a failed attempt. So any Christian will do. You're one of those? You'll do. We'll make you the target. Sound familiar? I remember telling the lady that I was an evangelical Christian. She blamed me for Donald Trump being the president of America. He said he's one of them. You're one of them. You put him there. Me in Cambridge. I had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Well, by guilty, by association, you see. You're not Paul and Silas, but you're Jason. You're Jude and those other brethren. We're going to bring you out before the people. You see, this phrase here, these are the men that turn the world upside down, simply means this. They've come here and they've caused trouble. They've caused a, a commotion and a disturbance. 
Why? Because of the message. There's no vicious method, it's just the message. Remember a minister going to Africa, and an African brother said to him, let's make them mad or make them glad, but let us be known, let us be seen, let us be heard. Let them know we're here. If you're not getting a reaction out of somebody, maybe you're not doing something. Do you think the world's going to sit down and take the message? Some will. Others will be offended. The gospel is an offense. We live in a day and age of the spirit of offense. But let me encourage you. John the Baptist was offensive. Jesus was offensive. The apostle Paul was offensive. Peter was offensive. John Wesley was offensive. John Knox was offensive. If you're offensive for the gospel's sake, then you're in good company. You don't have to go out to be horrible. You just have to give the gospel and something will happen. Is that true? Consider it like this. I heard this and it was really stuck and resonated with me. This minister said these words. If Jesus would have preached the same gospel that preachers preach today, he would never have been crucified. He said if Jesus preached that gospel, they would never have murdered him. It's not popular. It's a gory and a bloody gospel. However, salvation comes from it. Now let's have a look. Verse 7. says, Jason has harbored them, and those are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So we're back here again. It's the same trap that happened with Jesus. The problem is with the trap is that it's true. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 18. Now, I encourage you to pay attention to this. This message isn't long. It's almost finished. You see, we have a world that's suffering. We have Christians who are not speaking the gospel. I'm not, this is a particularly evangelical church. Praise God that we're willing to give the good news. But here's the trap. You see, Caesar and the decrees of Caesar is a picture of the world. His world, his system. Then you have Jesus, his kingdom, and his system of doing things. Now we're going to read this passage. We're going to read quite a bit. I'm just going to comment as we go along. Have it in your minds that he's going to stop talking soon. But pay attention to this. This is a passage which normally is only read at Easter. Okay? But this demonstrates very clearly the clash of the two kingdoms. And today, it's no different. You can exchange Caesar with another name. But the man behind Caesar is the same. He's called Satan. He has dominions, which are called demons. And then you have Christ, and he has a delegation called Christians. You see that? That's it. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. It might be hard for us to comprehend, 
but that as we open this passage, hopefully you will see. So the problem is this. These men of Thessalonica are charging these Christians of saying that there's another king. That's the charge. So Jesus has been brought before Pontius Pilate. He's representing Caesar. He's a man under authority, and he's a man who has to stick to the decrees as well. Let's have a look. John chapter 18, verse 29. Pilate went out to them, that's the Jews, and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we had not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This is the intention. We don't want him punished. We want this man dead. So that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which is spoken, signifying what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because this is the accusation. Son of God and the king of the Jews. Are you the king? And Jesus said, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom of this world, my servants would fight. So that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, ah, then you are a king. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. And for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And let me just say to that, that doesn't mean everyone who says that they are Christian. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you hear the master's voice, you must follow him. Jesus said, why did you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I have commanded you? But you have a king. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault with him at all. Is there nothing wrong? But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. This is your custom, says Pilate to the Jews. Do you want, therefore, to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. He's given a choice. Do you want Jesus, the Son of God, or do you want Barabbas? Barabbas' name is Bar-Abbas, which is a mockery. It means son of the father, the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. Pilate is saying, this is your choice. He's making it easy for him. Do you want Jesus, the son of God, or do you want Bar-Abbas, the son of the father? So then Pilate took Jesus 
and scourged him. Chapter 19, verse 2. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him on a purple robe, so a purple robe on him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no fault with him. Can you see that? It's almost as if Pilate is an evangelist. Uh, Let me just check. You really want to turn this guy down? You really want to deny this guy? This, This is the guy, this Jesus, the king of the Jews? I'm offering you a way out here. Do you want to turn him down? Then Jesus come out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out again, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. That's the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of the age. This is called Christian reality, not churchianity. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault with him. Don't bring me into this. The Jews answered, we have a law and according to our law, he ought to die. Why? Because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this saying, he was more afraid. There's trouble on the horizon. And went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, you have no power over me or against me unless it had been given from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greatest sin. You see, nothing can happen unless God allows it, unless God ordains it, including your own death. Nothing can happen. All the authority is from above. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. I bet he did. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Caesar again, the spirit of the age. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. You see, Pilate's got his hands tied. Silence is violence. Are you going to speak out? When Pilate, therefore, heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day, the Passover, and about the sixth hour, He said to the Jews, behold your king. Here's your last chance. Are you going to receive your king? Are you going to be obedient to your king? And I think this question should ride over every Christian mind, every pastors and ministers, every denomination in the world this morning. Is that question, behold your king, are you going to be obedient or are you going to play church? What is it going to be? But they cried out, away with him 
Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Really? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Satan, Caesar. Jesus makes it very clear. There is but two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And man must choose Barabbas or Jesus. There's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. You have to make your choice. The Bible says it, and I agree, agree with it, that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. I've been in ministry now seven years, been a Christian 17 years, and I'm 46 years of age. The government is not in control. They're just not, okay? The school is not in its own control. The banking, the entertainment industry, and the mines of our children, they're under the control of the evil one. If you brought back, not a Christian, a non-Christian from what, 50, 60, or 100 years ago, they would say the world has gone mad. The world's gone mad. However, listen to this. Satan has the government. Satan has the schools. Satan has the entertainment business. He has all of this. But he's not, I repeat, not having the church of Jesus. He is not touching it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He's not going to win. Even if he comes through that door, he's not going to win. The Bible says, for we have the mind of Christ. I often say this, a dead man is a dangerous man. If you're not fearful of the world, the world is fearful of you. Make up your minds. Be dead. Paul says, I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Please forget any romantic notion. He meant it all right. The apostles meant it all right. They saw being beaten for Jesus as a privilege. Awesome. You can't beat the church of Jesus. He is everywhere. And I love him. Amen. He may have silenced some Christians, but he will not silence the church. Satan does not have the delegation. My question to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, as we finish up, are you part of the delegation? Are you really part of that delegation? Because we say there is another king. Amen? If you're part of the delegation, we've come to speak about another king. We say there is another king called, I can't hear you, who offers an alternative lifestyle. It's called, it's called everlasting life. This is what he's offering. And do you know what? It's free. Whose kingdom is not crumbling, 
like the United Kingdom, but is incorruptible and eternal. You can't defeat the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Where diversity, well, diversity is a prophetic promise. Every tongue, every nation, every knee will bow. Amen? Everything. Let me say that again. We say there is another king called Jesus who offers an alternative lifestyle, eternal life, whose kingdom is not crumbling, as the United Kingdom definitely is, but is incorruptible and everlasting. Diversity is not a quota. It's a prophetic promise. Every tongue and every tribe, red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. That's the first thing that I learned when I was at Bible school. Brothers and sisters, this is the king who served us. This is the king that saved us. This is the king that speaks to us. This is the king that leads us, the one who intercedes for us. This is the one that breathed into us the breath of life and life eternal. You believe in him? Turn with me to John chapter 11. And it's Jesus speaking to Martha. And it finishes with a question. Verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the question that they always miss out at every funeral that I've been to. This question. Do you believe this? Shall we stand? No words. Thanks, darling. Jesus has called us to be the delegation. It's not about numbers. It's about truth. There's even Gandhi that said, truth is the truth even if you are the minority of one. Jesus had these band of brothers and they turned the world upside down with the message of the gospel. Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him, though may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Church, do you believe this this morning? If you do, repeat after me. And say it loud. And say it proud in a place where God can hear. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe that Jesus will return. 
I believe in the resurrection. Amen.